Welcome back to Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. With me today is Tara Bradner, and here's a bit about Tara. Tara works as an experienced doctorate, nurse practitioner, and fertility coach with patients worldwide. She received additional certification through the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, also known as ASRM, and Marquette natural fertility planning. After enduring a long road through infertility, followed by a traumatic pregnancy, she turned her hurt into hope for others. She formed the first and only nonprofit in North Dakota and South Dakota, serving those diagnosed with this disease. She has been the driving force behind legislative efforts since 2019 to increase access to care for infertility and fertility preservation. Tara has expanded her career to providing coaching and telemedicine services that offer a personalized approach to fertility care and pregnancy after infertility. In addition, she offers a wide variety of women's healthcare services provided via telemedicine. She has combined her experience as a healthcare professional and personal struggle to help navigate couples through their family building path. Let, let me know if this hits home for you because we're really going to unpack what does that look like for women dealing with infertility issues. And without further ado, welcome Tara Bratner. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you, Tara. So we know a bio is just a bio. So please tell us some fun facts about Tara and what really led you to get involved with the work that you're doing now. Yes. So of course, naturally, my journey through this with no insurance coverage as a medical provider was very alarming to me. So many don't realize right off the bat, infertility is in fact a disease. So it's categorized as a disease with zero to very little, if there is any insurance coverage. And so as a provider, I see patients daily, I'm getting things covered. I know the cost and expense of other diseases and medications. And yet when I needed my insurance most, I did not have coverage for my disease. And so that was so alarming to me as a provider. And it didn't really like hit me what we had all been through including that until I was holding my six-week-old son in our arms after we had been through everything. And I was like, what just happened? What can I do with my knowledge, my education? But not only that, but just as an advocate, how can I become an advocate for those that are still going through this? And what is to come for couples years down the road? How can I make a change? Wow. I'm just still stuck on the part that you said that there was no insurance coverage because there are so many women who are battling with infertility, but yet there's insurance coverage for some things that are cosmetic to others. And I'm like, make it make sense. Yes. So we know that one in eight are impacted by infertility. One in four are impacted by miscarriage. So I'd went through a miscarriage prior to going through infertility treatments and there is no coverage. They actually, if you look it up online, what is not covered by insurance, it'll list cosmetic items or cosmetics and followed by you know, non-FDA approved medications or devices or medical items, infertility. They literally list it in a row with cosmetics. And it's just disheartening because it is in fact categorized in the medical world and insurance world and all the things as a disease 
yet they don't back it. So when you get this diagnosis, it comes with so many mental and physical aspects, but then you have this whole other item of, well, my, it's not being verified or categorized or acknowledged by my insurance company as a disease. And so there is this huge cost is the number one barrier to receiving access to care. There's a huge access to care barrier that comes along with this disease too, that often gets forgot. So are you, because I want to understand your stance, especially since you have a nonprofit and you're an advocate in this space, not just from a professional standpoint, but a personal standpoint, are you pushing to get some um, segregation whenever it comes between it being lumped under cosmetic to its own category? Because it sounds like it's misclassified under cosmetic because a woman dealing with infertility from the outside looking in, that's not cosmetic. That's her and her husband trying to build their family. There's nothing cosmetic about trying to get pregnant and have an, a beautiful addition to your family. So how they came up with that being lumped under con- cosmetic is just beyond me. And I'm just saying from the outside looking in, especially since I don't have any children yet, but my husband and I would like to have children. But if if this is a problem that women are facing, then how can we as women band together to combat this? Because it's ridiculous. And it seems like nowadays in society, everything is profit over people centric. Yes. So great point. They categorize it as elective. Like we can choose to go forward with treatment. There's treatment available. It's the options there for you, but we're not going to cover it. And so other elective things are things like, you know, obviously cosmetic, but in the medical community, elective is a pretty broad term. And there are many things covered by insurance every day that are elective hip replacements, shoulder replacements, hernia surgeries, all elective simply categorizes non-life-threatening versus life-threatening diseases or procedures, I should say. So they're lumping it in. Once again, I've met when I meet with insurance companies and try to educate and encourage them, they're like, well, it's elective. Yeah, well, so was other things that are covered. So if you're going to give me that sentence, I'm going to fire back at you with things that you do cover that are also elective. And the other thing that you brought up is that when couples are starting to even think about trying to conceive, they're not aware of like, how long should we be trying? Like, is there things that I can proactively do, not reactively do when I first realized six, 12 months in of trying to conceive? And that's kind of where I saw a need at a professional level to kind of come in and help patients with preconception Uh, testing and treatments to make sure because it's often not revealed until once again you I don't want to say wasted but been trying to conceive for six or 12 months that you have a thyroid disorder you have PCOS you have endometriosis you have male factor infertility we have to remember that infertility is one-third male one-third female and one-third unexplained or both partners having a reproductive disorder. And so if we could know ahead of time and empower couples to just be um, pre and not reactive with disease, it would be so helpful for them because nowadays there's so many home kits you can do. You can do testing on your own with many home kits that are available. And I work with patients not only that have various diagnoses of, of infertility and causes, 
but to kind of pre and get them a head start on their conception journey and to rule out a lot of things that we could catch right away and early on versus, oh, by the way, you've been trying and now we have a problem. <laughs> so I want to stay here for a little bit and unpack it. So what are some of the pre-measures that you do with your clients? Because this would be a great point to educate the listeners and the viewers so they could keep this in mind whenever they are going to their, you know, their OBGYN or their primary care physician or et cetera, because then they already have the workup and then they could translate that information to, to their various doctors that way everyone is in alignment because sometimes I feel like in the medical profession coming from a consumer standpoint it's like I have to advocate for myself and then I have to send my information to different doctors that way we're not repeating the same type of lab works and etc because if we're doing that how is that conclusive yes you bring up an excellent point I have never met a bigger group of consumers or patients that have to advocate for their health care than those that are met in the reproductive field or community. They know more about medicine and labs and medications than any other disease I treat. Fact. <laughs> so things to ask, number one thing we need to know is, is your cycle, what does your cycle look like? How many days is there from day one to the next day one of your cycle. And there's tons of free apps in regards to that. But the thing I like to point out is if you're somebody who is number one irregular. So for example, I am 27, 28 days to the, to the hour, very regular, very routine. That is not the case with many women. So if you're more of that, I'm a 27, then I'm a 32, and then I'm a 34, and then I'm a 45, red flag. Right there, right off the bat, red flag. We need you to present this to your provider to do a workup on things such as your thyroid. Where do you, do you have PCOS? There's a very in-depth workup that should be done for PCOS. And oftentimes providers will be like, oh, that, that's normal, but you're high end of normal. And you have symptoms of PCOS that need to be taken into consideration and there's different ways that providers can diagnose PCOS. It's a very complex thing, a very provider to provider disease. And so I'm able to like comb through and look at it with a magnifying glass and encourage patients on things they should be um, asking and requesting. I have a ton of freebies on my website that I've made it easy for them to download and like take in. I have questions to consider when talking with your provider um, endometriosis is another one that I meet a lot with patients. That's actually, I was, I went from unexplained infertility to endometriosis and it's like, okay, it is not normal to have extremely painful periods every month that are really heavy and that make you stay home from work or in high school, you had to stay home from school. That is not normal. And so it's, and then there's home kits. This is really fun for men as well. So if men are not like, Ooh, I'm going to go to the clinic, you know, and provide semen analysis, there's home kits to make that more comfortable for them. So it's really empowering you as patients that if their provider is not going to do it, you can do a lot of these things at home. And it's unfortunate you have to take that into your own hands, but to just know that there are those options available 
find a provider who listens to you. That is so important that you don't feel rushed, that you feel heard, that they do work with patients, whether it's OBGYN, a family healthcare provider, or a reproductive endocrinologist, because you do not need a referral in many, many situations. You do not need a referral to just go and seek an opinion from a reproductive endocrinologist on your case. So question right there with the endocrinologist, um, reproductive specialist or provider, if does that matter what type of insurance you have? Because, you know, some people have HMO or they have um, POS. So the, the point of service or the HMO where you have to go get the referral or et cetera. And sometimes those lines get blurred because that doctor does not necessarily want to refer you because they feel like they can help you when in actuality I've been telling you but you haven't been helping and so whenever I talk to certain people they get so frustrated because it seems like it's a numbers game and it's all about the money so they don't want to outsource that you bring up a great point I've recently been introduced through my patients on some of these bigger healthcare systems that are out there and they, they even have wait lists, which is just mind blowing. Like, oh, by the way, we know you need treatment, but you have to enter this wait list. So with that, I would encourage you if the finances are there that you could go out of your network, you know, depending on that, but to maybe find somebody like a coach to work with in the meantime, to better prepare your body, your understanding. Is there something else you could do in the meantime if you're gonna stay on the wait list and you do have to stay within that system? Find somebody, another resource, somebody that can just walk beside you during that wait. Because oftentimes I also find patients have not implemented basic supplements, basic nutrition and lifestyle implementation until they're met with that reproductive endocrinologist who's like, oh, by the way, here's our supplement list. And here's our, here's a, yeah, huge list of things that you can start now, but we're going to do treatment next month. And we know the follicle lifestyle and a semen um, life cycle is men is usually 75 to 90 days. A female follicle cycle is about 90 days. So there's things that we could be doing if you're in that weight to better optimize your fertility if you're going to move forward with testing even or treatments because we know for a fact that testing can improve with implementation of various um, lifestyle supplement nutrition, all the things. So why not, if you're going to stay on that list and you're going to wait, find somebody to work with beside you to make sure you're asking the right questions, you have the right labs in place maybe some have been missed. And so you could go back to that initial provider who doesn't seem to listen to you and advocate for additional lab work. And I see this a lot in miscarriage too. So two or more miscarriages is considered reoccurrent loss and then puts you in this section where you should have a very in-depth workup performed and it gets missed because for whatever reason, there's various reasons, but you could go back and advocate that those things get done while you're in this waiting room or waiting area with your healthcare system. Mm, and thank you for um, highlighting that because there are some women who go through several miscarriages and they feel like, oh, maybe it's me, maybe it's my body or like some elderly people, like I've heard my mom say, oh, well, maybe your womb is too low and you can't really carry it. And there's so many um, people that are adding but they're not necessarily SMEs, subject matter experts in the field. So I feel like you have to tune out the noise, but also pay attention to your personal body because everybody's 
body is different. So I want to ask you, especially being um, a professional in the medical field, how do you feel about homeopathic doctors? I believe there is room for everybody in this field. There is room for your chiropractor, your physical therapist, your acupuncturist, your naturopathic doctor, your OB. Build your healthcare team. That is the most powerful thing I can say is you get to build your healthcare team. I compare it to the diabetics a lot just because I feel like there's a lot of them out there, but they get a healthcare team, right? They get a podiatrist, a nutritionist, a nurse care team coordinator, a primary care provider, and the specialist. You know, they get all these people in their healthcare team. It is my vision that we see in the reproductive medical community the need for them to have a healthcare team, a mental health advocate, counselor. I have forgot that whole side that we 61% percent of women do not share with their friends and family that they have this disease. The It is the fourth leading cause of trauma in women. And so there's a huge misconception that comes along with infertility and it gets mental health gets overlooked way too often. And so I always encourage, I'm always doing emotional wellness work with my patients. If they need additional care, I'm helping them find counselors. I'm helping them build their team. It's not just me. We need to build a healthcare team and whatever that looks like, we decide together on based on your individualized needs. But you also brought up another good point, the comments that we are often met with. And that is so hard. I, once again, I don't think we're making comments to high people with high blood pressure or diabetes or high cholesterol like throwing out advice or comments to them about what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing, or maybe it's this. It is truly the reproductive field where I see people just inserting their thoughts and as much as they mean well, and they don't mean to hurt us, it does hurt us. And so um, if anyone's listening who does not have infertility, but knows somebody because it's one in eight, so a lot of you know a lot of people that have infertility or reoccurrent pregnancy loss, please just let them know that you're there to support them. How can I help you? What can I do for you today? How are you doing? You know, and those kinds of things versus, well, my friend tried this. Have you tried this? Have you thought of this? Well, maybe if you just did this or it's probably because of this. No, we do not need any more of that. We need just care, support, and and just general, be a friend, be a family member to support us in this journey and not provide additional comments or thoughts or opinions because that's really what they are. They're not helpful because chances are we've done everything before walking into that specialty office to try and help us with our disease. We've done it all. The best Googlers are those with infertility or miscarriage. We've Googled and Googled and Googled and so we know every little thing out there that we could possibly try and it's been done. Mm. And I liked how you said that because people just need to know that they're supported, that they're loved because these comments are adding to their emotional baggage and it's weighing them down. And I was actually going to dive into mental health awareness because somebody who loses a baby, depending how many weeks that baby stayed inside of them. And if that baby, you know, was um, they had to go through surgery or whatever they had to go through in order to get that baby out. It's like, that is a part of you that was growing inside of you and no longer will you feel that heartbeat. 
no longer would you feel that kick or no longer would you feel that sense of emotional connected connectness to somebody that you were trying to bring into the world. And when you are not a mother that faced miscarriage, you don't know what that feels like. So don't tell somebody, I know how you feel because you don't know how, how they feel. Have you lost a child? Have you went through a miscarriage? Have you faced infertility? And sometimes like, cause I am guilty of this. Like one time I did ask my friend, well, how, how, how come you haven't gotten pregnant yet? And it was because I was ignorant and I'm going to be the first one to say I was ignorant because that's what I heard. And then whenever I was in the same position, when people asked me like my in-laws, oh, you don't have a baby yet. Do you value your career over, over starting a family? And depending on what type of culture you're raising, cause I'm Afro-Latina and Caribbean. So, you know, Afro-Latinas, you know, you have babies or if you're married into a Hispanic family, they believe in having babies or starting your family as soon as you get married and et cetera. And people who are Caribbean. So when you're in a diverse family, people, that's how they are. They just ask you these questions and you project, but that's all you've heard. So you think that it's normal when in actuality, it's not really normal. So that's whenever you have to understand the mental health awareness piece, because those thoughts, whenever everyone else is asleep, those thoughts are replaying in your mind and you're thinking to yourself as a woman, what's wrong with me? I just want to build a family. I just want to, you know, have a baby with my husband. I love him. I want to build my family build my family or if you're in a you know same-sex relationship maybe you and your partner want to have a baby but there's different complexes there or whatever the case may be but we have to really be willing to build out the dream the dream team and I think the dream team is your homeopathic naturopathic doctors your mental health um, advocates a counseling group maybe even a resource group where you could go go to and talk to other women who have dealt with infertility and miscarriages. But um, Tara, I want to hear about your personal experience. Whenever you went through your traumatic pregnancy, what did that look like for you? And what helped you overcome that? Because that will help another lady that may be listening to this now or later on down the line. I am just sitting here like, yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. You nailed so many things we take on this baggage as the female, like, what did I do? Why we are like the number one thing our bodies are designed to do is have babies. And when that isn't happening, we take that all on when it's all many times the male and us or the male only, or a disease that's gone undiagnosed that needs to just be diagnosed in order to get that process going. So you raised so many great points. There's so much added burden and stress that comes along with, with this disease other than just like, I want a baby. Like it's so much more than that. So in addition to going through infertility, I also had a traumatic pregnancy on the other end. And it started with I a bleed at 32 weeks. I woke up one morning and there was a large amount of blood. I actually ended up getting helicoptered. I live in a very small rural community. I had to get helicoptered to my OBGYN where everything ended up thankfully being okay, but I had to live away from home for four weeks. And even without that traumatic experience, the positive pregnancy test that comes after going through the trauma of infertility is not easy to deal with. It is not uncommon for us to not get excited, to have overwhelming fear and anxiety the moment we do become pregnant because we don't know how long that baby is going to be 
with us. And you talked about this as well. And I want to just validate anyone listening that the moment you get those two pink lines, that positive pregnancy test, as a female, it is so natural for us to like create the next year or more of our lives. Like you have doc, your, your life changes almost instantly once you see those two pink lines and a loss is a loss. If you lose that baby within days of seeing a positive pregnancy test or weeks or any time, whether it's the first trimester or it's infant loss or pregnancy loss into the second trimester and you have a stillborn, there is so much that goes along with that. And there is grieving that needs to take place. I am a big advocate uh, for employers as well to add a miscarriage or failed embryo transfer to the ability to collect paid time off that we can stay home because we are actually going through a physical loss. This is not just a cough and cold. Like if I get to stay home for my cough and cold, then I should get to stay home when I am actually passing my baby, whether it's four weeks, five weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, and I don't need a procedure or I do need a procedure, that should be time off. There should be um, pay for loss, for being able to grieve at home during that time that goes along with it too. So to just really raise awareness and bring acceptance into being able to take that time off and to affirm to women, please take, please, please, please take the time off of work and take the sick leave if you have to and stay home during that time. But to jump forward, um, many are met with pregnancy fears once they do become pregnant. And there's this whole other side that I care for women on as a nurse practitioner and a coach to help them through that time as well. And so I had this obviously traumatic, thankfully our son was fine. I was able to go home four weeks later. And then I did have an unexpected emergency C-section as well. So it was just like my story never ended. I was like, when am I going to get a break here? Like, it's like from conception to delivery, there was trauma, 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 trauma. And it was hard to see that or acknowledge that in the moment. And I still continue to work through that. Uh, hearing a helicopter triggered PTSD, PTSD in me for the longest time. My job, I work in the ER, and so it's not uncommon for me to have to call a helicopter in for my patients, and I would have to deal with that, and I sought out counseling to deal with that, and I'm in a safer place than I was. My son's three now, and so I look back over the three years of working through that whole aspect of, you know, lingering um, PTSD that can go along with that. And so just to know that whatever your story is, you get to share that in your own time too. When you're ready to share with people what you're going through, it's hard to be met with when are you having a baby, when are you have another baby, you know, it's not uncommon for people who go through infertility to want to have one, two, three, four children, whatever that may be. So to avoid comments, and I did it too. I was just like you. I was asking people, before wondering, you know, when are they going to have a child? Why aren't they having a child? You know, until I realized, oh, this is why. And we don't ask people when they're having children because we don't ask what their blood sugars are. What's your, you know, what's how much weight you lose in there? How much sodium are you eating? What are your blood pressure? Like we don't ask other diseases the status of their health care. You know, it's it's like HIPAA, we stay out of that. Let's try and stay out of reproductive health care too, unless people are ready and willing to share that information with you.
boom, a mic drop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Tara, as we wind down, I want you to talk to the men. How should the men deal with their wife or their partner after she has dealt with infertility issues or miscarriages because men are wired differently than women. And I heard one analogy. I think it was someone in um, a religious sector. I can't remember who it was. And she was like, men are like waffles. They compartmentalize everything. And women are like noodles or spaghetti because we're so interwoven and we could do multiple things. But when a man faces something that is traumatic, that not only affects him because, you know, yeah, that is his sperm and you need the sperm for the egg and all that but it's like oh okay he grieves but men grieve differently than women so how can they actually meet their wife or partner where they're at dealing with trauma marriage going through infertility is so hard and that we right off the bat like you said we need to understand as a female and as a male like how women and how men deal with loss, but also infertility. We'll just keep using infertility, obviously, is very different. They are fixers. They are black and white. They are not as emotional as we are. And so for them to just understand that too, like we are going to be hyper-emotional and for the female to understand that perhaps we will not find the support or the care or the right words that we need from our spouse because they are dealing with this different they're fix 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 what's next what do we got to do where do we got to do like suck it up we're going to be fine right like fix 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 whereas i think i would encourage women to shift and find a support group find one person they know that's been through it to confide in find a find a coach find somebody else to go to for that extra support that you do in fact need and use your partner for the very um, basic stuff and the support that they can actually, in fact, provide for you. And I think do anything you can. There's also programs out there for this to keep your marriage intact, keep communication strong and open when you're going through this, because it will happen like this, that it gets derailed when it comes to deciding what's next, where should we go? What do we do? And to just always know right off of that from the beginning to catch that and implement things and sit down as a couple and talk about things very openly from the beginning and have an understanding that that might change. What we agreed on in the beginning might change as you go through the process of failed treatments or of loss and things can change and shift through your decision-making process. And also for men to understand, let's just use miscarriage for an example. Your wife just needs extra love bring her a glass of water, fill her a bubble bath with some candles. That was a, I recently had a podcast guest on, on mine and she went through a miscarriage at home and her husband just simply brought her a cup of water and, you know, just took, if you do have other children, find somebody to take them so you can be alone during that time and just really surround your wife with love and ask her, what can I do for you? You know, anything special and going out of the way that you can do for her in that time of grieving is going to go a long ways. But to understand that even if it was an early miscarriage or an early loss, that does not change how she's grieving because we all grieve differently and we all view that differently depending on who we are as unique individuals, right? Like we might 
be in that place of grieving for a while. And then you get a period after your miscarriage and that triggers things again. There's blood there again, you know, all the things. So to just understand that in her own time, she will work through that and just support her. Don't judge her. Don't try to rush it. Don't try to speed it up at all. Let her grieve in her own way. Mm, amazing, uh, Tara. And I want you to tell the listeners and viewers once again who you are. Leave them with a gem that either educates, inspires, or motivates them. And share where you hang out on social media in case they need to connect with you one-on-one, not your VA, but you so they could get all this goodness. Yes. So you can find me at Tara B Fertility on all social accounts. I do also have a podcast, Hopeful Hints, an infertility podcast. And I, my inbox is always open. I make that very clear. When you get into my inbox, it is me that you're getting. I am there for you all day, all night. You can always jump on a free call with me too. I offer that. We can just break it down and see where you're at, see how I can better support you. Um, you can also find me on tarabradner.com. And my gem for you would just be awareness. So we need to understand one in eight are impacted by this disease that you are not alone. And if you haven't personally experienced people around you have one in eight around you have, and to reach out to them, simply ask if you know, they're going through it. How are you doing? I just want to check in on you and to just really, if you're a business to make that connection that you actually have the power to add benefits. You can make those changes on your own without it having to be done at a legislative level. You have the power to ask your insurance company, your place of work, your HR department to add benefits. And it can be done in so many ways. I'm also open to talk and connect with people and guide them through that process as well. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. You just heard Tara Bradner share some amazing gems and educated you. She inspired you. She motivated you. And if you know somebody that is dealing with infertility issues, make sure you just cover them and surround them with love and let them know that you are there for them. We are all a masterpiece, but we do go through a roller coaster ride called life, but appreciate the highs and the lows. And remember, every day is not going to be the same. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Go out and have yourself an amazing day.